We're in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already we are clean. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has none than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servant, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. For for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mary. Uh, we... Uh... We preach through, typically we preach through books of the Bible, and uh, our goal is to finish the book of John uh, right around Easter time, so we kind of have a longer passage today, but eminently connected and uh, super powerful. Before we we walk through that, I did want to also mention that over on the Connect table, we've got these, it's called Be Thou My Vision. It's a really kind of high-quality published book and stuff. It just came out through a publisher, Crossway, that does a really good job uh, just having very biblical books and materials that are very, like, honoring to the Bible and very focused on Jesus. Um, And what this is, it's, uh, you know, in each of our lives, like, when we come together as a church, the hope is that we've been individually walking with Jesus, uh, we've been in the Word of God. We've been praying. We've, he's been discipling us. So, you know, it's not like Jesus, like when we leave church on Sunday, Jesus is like, I'll see you next week. You know, like, like come back and we can hang out again. Um, instead, like he's actually, and we'll see in the passage today, uh, he's desiring a much closer walk with us than, than that. And so sometimes, though, you might feel like you get in a rut or you're like, well, I don't really know what to do on a daily basis. I don't really know what that looks like. And so what this is, is it's meant to kind of like help guide you. So it'd be like if you're working out, sometimes you're like, hey, I'm fine. I know what I'm doing. But other times you're like, I need a trainer that will like say, do this, do this, do this, do this. So this is, it's a 30-day devotional. 
And it, for instance, the pr- it has prayers in it that are written out. So sometimes when you're like, I don't really, I feel like someone needs to teach me how to pray. This will have like prayers from people throughout church history and the Puritans and stuff like that. And so anyway, just, just to let you know it's there, we have like 15 copies. I got an email that said, I, I'm going through this right now personally. Uh, then, um, and it's just really rich. It leads you through a lot of scripture. Um, but uh, it's usually like 30 some bucks. And so we were able to get them for $15. So we just kind of bought, bought some of them. So, so know it's over there. We just have a cup if you just want to put $15 in there. So is, uh, hopefully it would be helpful for, for if you're feeling like you would benefit from a little bit of direction in uh, like personally walking with the Lord. So um, where we're at is a chapter that I was thinking about this chapter where we're at right now, and I was in Arkansas, um, which a lot of great stories start. I was in Arkansas, right? (laughs) I was in Arkansas, and I was with a group of uh, people who were all getting ready to start churches. And we, uh, there were about six of us that went into this one-year process where we'd, we'd spend time in Kansas City, in Memphis, Tennessee, in Little Rock, Arkansas. And we happened to go in a cabin in rural Arkansas, and basically there were about five very seasoned guys who had been leading churches for, for many decades. Most of the guys were in their 60s. And the objective was for them to find areas in our lives where we weren't walking with Jesus. And we willingly went to this weekend uh, thing, and it was not pleasant at all. Um, There was a lot of crying, a a lot of things, but I I remember very distinctly uh, 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 this group of guys were really, like I was in the middle, they were all sitting around me, and out of a lot of love, they were like, hey, we... um, we really desire you to walk as closely to Jesus as he desires to walk with you, and we're going to press into this, and we're going to do all this stuff. And at one time, a guy yelled at me, John 15, like trying to break through. Um, it was trying to convince me of the love of Jesus for me. Because what's so easy when we think about our walk with Jesus is we start beating ourselves up or we start kind of, oh gosh, you know, I don't want to go there. And he actually screamed at me, John 15. And so as I was thinking about where we're at in the book of John, it made me remember, (laughs) usually you don't forget when someone screams something like that in a setting that I was in. And this, since then, that was about four or five years ago, uh, this chapter has been messing with my soul it's been uh, something that I feel like I need to hear right now, and I'm praying that we need to hear right now, that each of us need to, to go through John 15, uh, absorb through every pore that we have what is for us in John 15 and be changed. You know, the, the goal of us gathering is not to play at church. The goal of us is to be changed by Jesus and to walk together as he's forming a people and ha- as he's changing us. And so um, just to remember where we're at in this is that the Last Supper has already happened. The end of the last chapter was Jesus saying, hey guys, let's get up. Rise, let's go from here. Okay, so they've gotten up from the Last Supper. So where they are going to is the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the, Jesus will not sleep again before he dies for our sins. And there, in the book of John especially, there are several things in Jesus' last hours 
that he is praying for. We'll get to that big time in John 17. There's a lot of things that he's praying for. There's a lot of last-minute coaching, teaching, instructing that Jesus is doing to his disciples and to us. And so Jesus introduces a a ground-shaking reality between dinner at the Last Supper and the Garden of Gethsemane. He drops John 15. So uh, John 15, we're starting verse 1. We have Bibles over here you can grab. We have the, the verses on the screen if that'd be a blessing to you. John 15 verse 1 starts by saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Um, So this starts by saying, I am the true vine. So he's not saying, I am a vine. He's saying, I am the vine and the true vine. And a, a reality here is that if you are wanting to get close to God at this time in history, if you're wanting to get close to God, you would go to Jerusalem, you would go to the temple, you would draw near to the temple, to the Holy of Holies, and there you would have a mediator, a priest, that would be a mediator between you and God, and that would invite you to draw near to God. So Jesus is already saying that is being eclipsed. That's not the way anymore. There's a new way that is being eclipsed, and I am the true vine. So Jesus is putting him in the place of the temple with a statement like this. He is now where we go to worship God. If we want to get to the Father, he says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. The the Son is now the center of our universe, and he could use all sorts of imagery. Jesus could say, I am now the consultant. Come to me whenever you need me. He could say that. He could say, uh, um, I, one of my kids on a sports team was saying that, that a lot of his friends are like, oh yeah, we, we know Jesus. We know who he is. Uh, we, we follow him, but we think that we can just live however we want for the rest of our lives, and then we'll say that we're sorry at the end, and we'll be good. And in one sense, like that's viewing Jesus as like a consultant, kind of like, hey, I met him, we had an initial consultation, um, and I'm kind of good, and I might call him back at the end. But Jesus doesn't use that imagery. Jesus could say, hey, you guys are the troops, and I am the general, and I will call the shots. I will orchestrate where I want you to be, when I want you to be there. And, but I'm in the, Jesus is in the Pentagon and we're on the ground. He could have used imagery like that, but he chose not to. He doesn't go there. He could say, he could get a little closer to us and say, hey, I'm in the office. I'm in the corner of the, off, you know, of the building. Uh, I'm the boss. You guys are my employees. Um, you know, I will, I'm a good boss. Uh, we have a good organization and you guys are fortunate to be Uh, recruited as employees or whatever. He, He could say something like that, but he doesn't because he gets way closer to us. 
he gets way closer. And a lot of our life feels like it's around sports and basketball and track and stuff like that. And sometimes I think like when you're trying to make varsity or you're, you're trying to, to get better or whatever, like you just kind of want the coach to notice you, but you don't want to be noticed in the wrong way. <laughs> you know, like you don't want to be noticed because you shoot an air ball or something. You want to be noticed. You, you want your potential to be noticed. You know, you, you want to know that the coach is kind of for you, that the coach kind of has a, a plan for how you can grow and get stronger and better and all that stuff. Like, like you, you want to, so he could say, Jesus could say, hey, I'm the coach and I'm a good coach and I know like, what, what's needed here, I'm for you. You don't have to, like, perform for you. You don't have to, like, try to get noticed or whatever. You don't have to stab each other in the back to get noticed. Like, he could say, I'm the coach. You're the players. Play. Like, he could use imagery like that. Um, and that would be a, a, an involved relationship. Uh, I, I've still, like, have been very formed by... Uh, by amazing coaches that we had here, I thought at Collins Maxwell. Um, and, but Jesus doesn't, it, it's helpful sometimes to see what he says and then to think about what he's not saying. So he, he doesn't say any of that. The bond, when he thinks of our relationship, is way closer. The one who is the true center of everything. So not just like, coach of the year state of Iowa, not that, like, creator of the universe, the way that he describes our relationship with him. Now, remember, he's getting ready to go. The Last Supper is over. He, that night, he will never be physically with his disciples again. And as they will be wrestling with what does it mean to walk with the Savior that I can't see who seems so far away. What does it mean? How does this look like? And the way he is describing this in advance is not like, well, I'm going to be dead and gone. What he actually says is, I am a vine and you are a branch connected to the vine. I mean, if you go up to like, you go to a vineyard and you go up to the vine and you inspect how close of a relationship the branch has to the vine, and you go in the middle of a blizzard when everything's trying to break it up and all that stuff, you're like, pretty close, <laughs> you know? Like, it's pretty, uh, pretty intertwined. The branches, they even derive their life from the vine. The vine produces its fruit through the well-pruned branches. And so this is a major point not to miss. It might seem overly simple, like I spent way too much time on this, but a major point not to miss is being in Jesus is like a pruned branch connected to a vine. Like a pruned branch connected to a vine. And uh, I, I, in first century Israel, everybody knew what this looked like. Like Jesus didn't have to be like, let me describe how this works. There, I mean, people drank wine there too because of the fermentation process and all that stuff. Uh, bacteria wouldn't develop. And so it was actually like a really, was, sometimes wine was safer to drink than drinking water and all, all sorts of stuff. But in the first century, when Jesus shared this, when he shared this with the disciples, he didn't have to bring out any illustrations or pictures. We today aren't around very many people who uh, have vineyards or wineries. 
And gratefully, my brother has a vineyard. <laughs> That's what he does for a living in northwestern Iowa. And the wine we actually have here is wine that my brother grew at his vineyard. And uh, I have a, a couple pictures just for, for us to realize here. So this is, at his, this is in Iowa, up in northwest Iowa. But you see up at the top, it looks kind of like an old tree, kind of. That's the vine. And that vine is old, like, it's been around for, for, for quite a while now, even though they planted it and everything. But that is the vine. Uh, then the branches are connected to the vine, and that's how it bears much fruit. And uh, another picture here is, uh, I didn't know that Scott wasn't going to be here, but uh, so for harvest this last year in September, my dad and I obviously went up to help with my brother, but Scott agreed to go as well. Um, we got paid pizza while we were there, which was, which was really delicious. Uh, but I love this picture because um, here you see the vine, and the vine is very clear. The branches are connected to the vine. And then Scott's like God the Father, right? We get that naturally. But, but where Jesus is saying, he is the vine, we are connected to the vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. The Father is the one who prunes the branches. And even at my brother's vineyard, like you, if someone like had a sawzall and they just cut the vine, like my brother and my sister-in-law would be like, what are you, like, that is the trunk, you know, like, that is the, so they don't, they let people do all sorts of stuff, like, all of us could go there, and they would have jobs for us to do. No one is allowed to prune, except my brother and his wife. Only they do the pruning, because it takes great skill, and they know how to prune for maximum fruit, and they actually enjoy it, because they know what the pruning does. And then they also know that they have to go through and they have to bring out dead things, because if they don't, it's going to start getting moldy there. And that whole area will have disease and all sorts of stuff. And so, so here, where pruning is like one thing my brother and Ashley don't let other people do, um, here God alone does the pruning in our lives. He doesn't let the pruning be like, oh, y'all, you guys, just prune each other. He alone does the pruning in our lives, and the pruning is painful. Um, and man, I feel like the Lord's done a lot of pruning in our lives <laughs> here as a church so far. Um, it's not easy, and the Lord is continually wanting it to be done for him and in him and for us to grow in him, and he wants us reliant on him. You know, if you cut off one of these branches and you lay it on the ground, it's not going to be like, hey, I got it from here. Great. We're going to be awesome. It's like, you might look okay for a few days. Like, you'll still have the green and all that stuff, but you're not going to be okay. Look at verse 3. This is not pruning from a distant, angry God. Verse 3 says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. The book of John has earlier said that once we put our faith in Jesus, we are cleansed from the penalty of our sins. Once we put our faith in Jesus, we are promised to always have the hope of everlasting life. And nothing and no one can ever rip us out of Jesus' hands. We saw that in John chapter 10. Jesus lets them know, hey, you are clean. Your faith in me has made you soul clean. 
Their sins are forgiven. But he does give them this command. He says, hey, you've put your faith in me. You are clean. And then he gives us this command to be able to carry out their purpose as clean people, which is verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. Abide in Jesus. We don't use that word abide very much. You could say stay in Jesus, remain in Jesus, and it's a command from him. In his last hours, his command is, I'm going to abide in you, you abide in me, in the way that a branch is connected to a vine. That close, that tight. You know, the branch can't be like, I'm just connected on Sunday mornings. Man, that's going to be malnourished at best. Um, A lot of worse things. To remain in the one who has saved us. And each of us receives these like lowercase c callings. Like the Lord might call you to be on mission in a classroom. The Lord might call you to be on mission in a cubicle. The Lord might call us to be on mission with sports teams. Or wherever the Lord has called us to be on mission is kind of a lowercase c calling. The capital C calling is for us to abide in him, for him to abide in us, to be rooted in Christ, remaining in him, staying in him. And just in a practical way, it's like, well, well, what does this look like? I think what it might mean for like our jobs, our relationships, our family is, uh, you've heard the phrase like, I got to stop and catch my breath. Just got to stop and catch my breath. Part of abiding is to stop and catch his breath for us to remain in him in a way, and you're like, well, what can that look like? Well, so this is just very simple. Uh, Patty and I do this uh, occasionally, where both Yahweh, Father, Jesus, are all just two syllables. Breathing out could be a syllable. Breathing in could be a syllable. So it's kind of hard to speak this, but it's almost like when you're breathing, even, just to be like, Jesus. Like just breathing, catching his breath can be abiding in him. Like in the midst of all that's going on, it's like he's like, abide in me, I'm going to abide in you. That's the most accurate way I can explain our relationship as I go. Is that intimate? Praying that way, breathing that way, receiving the nutrients of his presence, receiving the nutrients of his word. Now, verse 4, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Our second major point not to miss here is abiding in Jesus is the only way for a fruitful life. Abiding in Jesus is the only way for a fruitful life. Look at that verse again. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's not like, well, you can do a whole bunch of really amazing, significant things without Jesus. He's like saying, no, nothing. Nothing that's worth doing can be done without abiding in him. 
He doesn't want us to go off on our own and prove that we can do things without him. He's not too busy for us. He's not like, well, he's, he's probably dealing with other more important cases. He's saying, no, for all of my people, this is the, the close relationship that I am designing for, uh, for them, for us to flourish in. He wants us as close as a branch is to the vine in living out his life through us until we wait to be united with him, reunited with him. His way is life, and rejecting his life is rejecting life and is accepting being thrown into the fire and burned. He invites us to abide in him, and life is very short, and we never know when our days have run their course. And instead of waiting until the last second, why even let one more second go by without Jesus? abiding in him, bearing much fruit in our lives. Now, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me. Now, he's maybe an hour away from praying, Lord, Lord, why have you forsaken me? As the Lord is starting to dump and will be dumping all of the sins, past, present, and future of humanity on him, on the cross. And here Jesus, knowing that, and, but also knowing the deep love that he has, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is a third major point for us not to miss is abiding in Jesus gives us Jesus' joy. Abiding in Jesus gives us Jesus' joy. Verses 7 through 11, I feel like, are enough to give us a perspective that can sustain a lifetime. I mean, just Jesus saying, hey, you have no idea the joy that I have. The joy, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knew what his effective work on the cross was doing for our eternal life. And that brought him great joy, even knowing what the cost would be. And he's saying, when you abide in me and I abide in you, my joy will be in you and your joy may be full. He is concerned about our joy. Is that, I mean, to keep going back to where we're at, he's, he's just getting ready to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and pray, and his focus is on our joy. Jesus' own words, that our joy may be, that, that his joy may be in us and that our joy would be full. And then he gets really close, as he gets really close to the cross, he keeps being concerned about our joy. And all of this section so far has been focused on our relationship with Jesus. What that means for our heart, how close of a relationship he is inviting us into. And now, as he re redefined what that relationship looks like, he's now going to redefine what this relationship looks like. And he is very concerned about our joy, and he's very concerned about our relationships with each other. So he now directs our attention outward. Look at, look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, 
Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you. And like when Malcolm, giving his life to Jesus, he can say, Jesus chose me. And if you're feeling drawn to say, I'm, I'm all in, I'm giving my life to Jesus today, he could say, hey, you kind of chose me, but I chose you. I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. We're commanded twice here at the beginning of verse 12 and at the end of verse 17 to love one another. Jesus is laying down his life for his friends. He considers us friends. And it would be amazing if he just considered us servants. If he just said, hey, you're my servants, we'd be like, oh gosh, I can't believe that. That is amazing. But he even says, hey, you're my friends. He brings us so close he considers us family. He considers us friends. We did not choose him. He chose us. He appointed us to bear fruit and for the fruit to last. And the fruit that he hones in on is our last major point this morning. The fruit Jesus commands us is to love each other. It's to love each other. And I was on a Zoom call uh, about a month ago or so, and it was a bunch of guys who were, who were getting ready to start churches in rural New England like New Hampshire and Maine and stuff like that. And we had a, a mutual friend, and the friend was like, hey, you, know, you guys started a few years ago. These people haven't even started yet. Like, why don't you get on this Zoom call, and maybe they can ask questions and stuff. And so in our conversation, uh, one of the people asked, like, what has been, like, the hardest thing? What's been the hardest thing? And was it COVID? Was it like, because we, we launched just a few months before COVID initially hit and stuff. Like, what, what's been the hardest thing? And I think I thought that the hardest thing would be like people who hate Jesus hating us. You know, like going up to somebody and somebody being like, oh, you're a Jesus person? Ugh. You know, like I, I thought like that would be the hardest thing. And even like Cornerstone Ames right now, they're, they're experiencing some challenges um, in one sense uh, that there's uh, been kind of a movement of people who don't like Jesus and don't like what Jesus has to say uh, and like taking that out on a church. And the reality though is like Jesus told us that was going to happen. <laughs> He's like, hey, don't be surprised if people treat you the same as they treated me. In one sense, we should actually be concerned if people love us and they hate Jesus. Because it's like, well, how much am I abiding in Jesus if people are like, well, you're awesome, and everything you say we really are behind. But this Jesus guy, I'd be like, well, I kind of, if you're really against Jesus, you're probably going to be really against me, and I really want you to not be against Jesus uh, because he's here for you too. You know, so, so, that, so that's kind of a different conversation. But I was like, you know, when we've gotten any pushback, it actually is kind of expected. Like, how would you expect people who aren't walking with Jesus to maybe, maybe respond? Um, I, I, so I literally, on this Zoom call, said what has actually been the hardest for me is people who both love Jesus not loving each other. Because, like, you kind of expect people who don't love Jesus to be against someone who does love Jesus, because that's kind of how Jesus was treated. But 
when, when you have two people that both have been forgiven by Jesus, that Jesus, has, has, that Jesus considers both of them to be forgiven, to be free, to be clean, to be abiding in him, and then those two people are like, oh, kind of would rather they go to a different church. Or maybe it's people from a past church. It's like, yeah, I had to get, rid of, I had to get away from all those people because, because I was trying to kind of find my own people or whatever it may be. Or, or, or like secondary things or, or motives. Like I just find that in my own heart that it's like, why do, I, why do I believe the worst possible motives in this person? Like why do I observe their behavior and be like, well... I don't know, you know, like I wouldn't be making those decisions if I were them or whatever. And yes, we're supposed to sharpen each other and all that stuff. But when secondary things like different views on vaccines, different views on predestination, different views on on parenting styles or whatever, if that drives a wedge between two people loved by Jesus, that is hard. And it's heartbreaking and it's frustrating. It's frustrating for everybody involved, right? And what I... And I just have found that to be the hardest thing, is, is people in the church not being able to get along and love each other. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you study World War II history and the underground church of Germany and how they were seeking to resist Hitler, saying he's the head of the church and all this stuff, uh, if you read like Life Together that Bonhoeffer wrote, he says that. He says, man, dealing with the Nazis, pretty clear, <laughs> pretty clear. Dealing with the lady right next to me, that's the hard work. Me actually loving her, and he even writes some beautiful chapters about, like, I found just as much hate between me and her as I was observing outside. And we needed Jesus to change us just as much as we were hoping that this worldwide war would end. And, uh, and so for us to be a people, and this is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking to a group of people who are following him and loved by him. And in his last hours, he's not like, Love the unlovable out there. He's like, love each other. And he commands us that twice at the very end before he starts going to the garden. Love each other. I'm commanding you. I'm, I'm, I'm as hard as I can say it. Love each other, which means genuinely love each other. And I think one way in the church that we can solve this is to go to the lowest common denominator of sameness. I love everybody in my church because we kicked out everybody that wasn't like us. And we now are all the same. And because we are the same on everything, we now are united and we love each other. Sameness does not equal any of that stuff. And you'll realize, like, if we're around each other enough, we have nothing in common with each other except for Jesus. And that's what we can build a church on. And so, so it's not sameness that we're after. Like how beautiful for a very diverse group of people because they're abiding in Jesus, for a very diverse group of people to genuinely be loving each other. And this is what Jesus is thinking about, his last moments. He has to form that in each of us. He commands that to be formed in each of us. So a few questions for us to ask for Jesus to show us. Uh, one question what part of my life am I disconnected from Jesus right now? I think just like bringing it home to very practical things for us. Like, what part of my life am I not connected to him? It could be some sins that maybe I'm like, hey, Jesus, can you just look the other way for a while? Some sins that I, am, that, that I have an anchor hold where 
I need him, being anchored in him, to bring me through that. Are there areas in my life where I'm looking to me to give me nutrients, to give me stability, to give me power, to make it through a situation where instead I need to be abiding in Jesus and letting him give me the stability, the nutrients, the fruit? How about salvation? Hey, I'm kind of being a good person, walking to heaven. That's abiding in yourself for salvation as opposed to abiding in him and saying, um, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through you, if we just saw recently in John 14. So, so maybe the part of my life that I need to de- de- that I'm disconnect from Jesus is, is getting connected to him, giving my life to him. One of the only prayers in all of the Bible, all 1,100 chapters of the Bible, one of the only prayers that Jesus says, that's a yes every time anyone ever prays that, is whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you ever pray and call on the Lord to say, save me, he's always like, that's a guaranteed yes every time. I have a yes on the table for that. Would you pray the prayer he promises to answer every time? So first question, what part of my life am I disconnected from Jesus? Another question, is he pruning me right now? Is he pruning me? Have have you maybe seen his pruning as like, well, man, he must be against me. He comes at me with those shears, and I think he hates me, and I'm kind of hiding from him. But is he maybe pruning you so that you can bear more fruit? Is he pruning you for your good? Is what's happening in your life right now him lovingly pruning that away from your life so that you can have more joy and that you can bear more fruit? And meeting community groups is super helpful for us, these are questions that we'll process together uh, to, uh, to help navigate that and to help have people praying for you along those lines. And another question, what is he calling me to do with him? What is he calling me to do with him? Remember he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Which means with him, we can do anything he calls us to. So sometimes it's good, like, hey, as I abide in you, what are you calling me to do? It might be that maybe, maybe a community group, maybe it's like, man, I know that you've, you've been hurt by a lot of people not loving each other in a church. Maybe he's calling you to step more closely into a church, and you're like, man, this is going to destroy me if you aren't giving me everything I need to be able to actually have a healthy, intimate relationship with a group of other people who love Jesus and are loved by Jesus. And I think a last question is just, who is he calling you to love? Is there someone that you know who loves Jesus, they really do, and you really struggle with them? Um, Maybe it's just someone who, when Jesus sees them, he sees a radically forgiven son or daughter of his. When you look at them, you don't see that. Who's he calling you to love? Now, uh, (laughs) it could be a little awkward if it's like, 
hey, you want to have lunch this week? And it's like, uh, uh, I was the one that you've been hating <laughs> or whatever. Like it could be, let's just kind of say like, hey, let's remove the awkward from the room and just say like, uh, let's just be people who are wanting the Lord to change us and it's going to be a little ugly at times. And I describe our church as an island of misfit toys. I feel like I resonate most with that imagery personally, you know, and it's like, hey, we're not in the room because we're perfect. We're in the room because Jesus is perfect and we're wanting to be changed by him. And so, so it's okay even to be like, hey, can I get together with you? And just be like, okay, you know, I, I understand that or whatever. Now, if you were planning on get together with somebody disconnected from the sermon, then that'll be its own thing that we can navigate. So, uh, but, but it, truly, like, who is he calling us to love? Um, if Jesus can love each of us, um, he realizes the power of even being a light to our community when people are like, hey, I know their family backgrounds. I know that those two families don't like each other. I know that those families like, have hated each other for so long they don't even remember why they don't like each other. And then it's like, and then I saw them both at Sweet Oaks having a great conversation, and I hear they're a part of this church. There's something real happening there. <laughs> like, uh, and that's not the reason we do it, but that is a reason why the Lord calls us to be like this. So, um, man, if the Lord has made something clear to you today, I would encourage you to write it down, share it with somebody. Um, pray if he doesn't, maybe, and just say, like, Lord, would you show me the areas that you are wanting to grow me in? Would you actually teach me this week what it looks like to abide in you and knowing that you're abiding in me? What does that look like? And for each of us, one of the powerful things that he's given for us is communion. And this is his idea for us to commune with him. He, he designed this uh, to say, do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me at the wedding feast of the Lamb. I will do this with you together. Uh, but, but the way he's instructed us is to first spend a little bit of time just praying, saying, Lord, teach me whatever you need to teach me here. Show me whatever you want to show me here. If you're, if you're saying like, hey, I've never given my life to you. If this is true, show me. If, it is, if, I, if you show me, I will give my life to you. I will trust you as my Savior. Uh, spend time doing all of that. Um, this, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, uh, this table doesn't make a lot of sense because it's really, what, what I would encourage you, instead of coming to the table, uh, would you consider coming to Jesus and come to the table next week? The, the uh, Tornstras will be serving us the elements. The way that we do it here is after spending some time praying, and you don't have to, you know, if you grew up Lutheran, Methodist, whatever it may be, the way we see it here is everybody's welcome to the table who have given their lives to Jesus and are abiding in him. If you aren't abiding in him, so you, you may want to just like uh, abstain this week and just do some work with him. Let him do some work in you, and I would love to talk with you about that, pray alongside you with that. Uh, but when you're ready, let's, we'll come down the center aisle. Uh, they're putting on gloves, and what they'll do is they'll rip off a piece of the bread, and they'll put it in your hand and say, this is the body of Jesus given for you. Uh, then we have wine or juice. Obey your conscience there. And the way that we take it here is, is come down, uh, take the elements, uh, receive them, but then go back to your seats holding them, and then we'll remain standing and take it together as family. So let's respond to him.